I'd just like to say a few words of uh, introduction. So I met Pastor Brian Ellerud. It was at the beginning of last year, Hotel 224. A bunch of pastors gathered to share what the Lord has been using him in what particular area. So Brother Brian is the CEO of America Praise and World Praise. And then there is this particular focus called Pray for All, which you'll hear about uh, as he shares. He also served with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Organization for many years, and uh, he is very well connected with so many pastors and church leaders, but God's anointing is upon this man to stir up prayer movement uh, in this nation and the nations of the world. And so I want to ask that you get ready to be stirred in your heart because God is doing something through Pastor Brian Ellerud. Give him a big hand of welcome, please. Bless you, Brian. Come on, give Jesus a mighty shout of praise. Come on, take 10 seconds. Give God your biggest, baddest praise. Amen. I want to honor your pastors, Pastor John Amendry. Thank you for having me here. When I met your pastor, I knew that he was stewarding a revival. <laughs> Not just leading a congregation, but stewarding a revival that I believe is going to touch your city, your nation, and your continent, and to the ends of the earth. So could you honor your pastors today? It's just a bloke from the other side of the pond. I want to say to the, all the new members, you're in the right house. You're in the right place. So thank you for joining Choose Life. Yeah, it's quite a, quite a big day back home. Uh, in America, it's what we call the Super Bowl. Probably haven't heard it over here. It's a little game. We call it football. It's not the real football like you play here, but it, it's another type of football. It's kind of, a, kind of a big deal in America. And so my kids were like, I've been gone. I'll be gone total 15 days. So they were like, yeah, Dad, you'll be back for the Super Bowl party and, and everything. We're having all these families over to our house. And I was like, uh, no, I'll be preaching at John's church. And so they, they're, they're very disappointed with you for stealing. No, no, no. no. And so... Uh, they called me uh, last night to pray over me and uh, to speak life over me, and I, it's just an honor to be here. My wife, Mercy, and I've been married going on 26 years, and uh, she'll still have me, and uh, so I feel like the most man, blessed man on the planet. Uh, my daughter, Chloe's 19. Uh, my son, Colin, is 16. Started his first company when he was 14. Hit me up for a loan when he was 15 for 500 bucks. Started his second company. He was born deaf, but God healed him in the journey to see him running two companies as a 16-year-old when he was born deaf. is quite a miracle. And then my daughter, Lauren's 13. She's the party. Come on, waiting for the place to happen. And um, so just honored to be here with you today. Nowhere else I'd rather be. And uh, so I'd like to invite you to stand with your feet uh, today. I, I'm old school. I like to stand for the reading of the word. Unless you're watching at home or you're driving on the radio, don't, please don't stand in your car. That might be dangerous. And so uh, we're in Genesis 12 and verse 2. And uh, God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. And say it with me, I will bless you. Amen. And I will make your name great and touch your neighbor and say, and you will be a blessing. Right. Touch your other neighbor, the good looking one, and say, you were blessed to be a blessing. You were blessed to be a blessing. We are Abraham's spiritual children, and God has blessed us to be a blessing. Amen. And I want to go to the second passage in Matthew 22, uh, beginning in verse 35. And it's an attorney comes, and he thinks he's so smart and so clever, and he's going to trick Jesus. <laughs> 
She's like, I made you out of dirt. I can make another one of you in a minute. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. Yeah, okay, a few, few of you caught that, all right. All right, so one of them, an expert in the law, tested him in this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is like it, unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. For on these two commandments saying, all the law and all the prophets. There's over 700,000 words in the Bible, but one word towers over them all. It's the word love. The Bible says that God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in them. And so as I've been an evangelist for many years, you know, asking God, how can we make a bigger impact? And I, just a couple of years ago on this passage, God said, Brian, you don't got to invent anything. You don't got to make, you don't got to add to what I've already created. I created this. This is my plan to reach the world, that we would love the people in our circle so well, so authentically, so genuinely with unconditional love that that love would bring them to the feet of Jesus, that we love them so well their hearts would open to the gospel. So touch your neighbor and say you were blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Awesome. Hey, give two people a high five and grab your seats in the presence of God today. So to make an impact on the world around us, we use this acronym called BLESS. Everyone say BLESS. Look at your neighbor very awkwardly and say, bless you. All right, so here's the thing. It's universal. Everybody wants to be blessed. Muslims want to be blessed. Hindus want to be blessed. Atheists want to be blessed. Uh, especially Pentecostals want to be blessed. Uh, everybody wants to be blessed. And so how do we bless people that are far from God? How do we make an impact in their life. So I want to just share with you five quick principles. It's an acronym of BLESS. And to start out, I want to share with you the story of a friend of mine. So I pastored for about 27 years. Um, I, I, I did the crime and I paid the time. And so uh, this was 27 years and it was the best 40 years of my life. And uh, so I didn't have white hairs when I planted a church. And, uh, but yeah, I lo love the local church. I still think this is God's still plan how to reach the world as local, vibrant churches, big and small. And, uh, you know, so I was pastoring, and uh, we had a season, about 80% of our church had gotten saved at our church. We were a soul-winning church, and it was growing, and TV, and et cetera, and then we, we plateaued, and that happens. Um, but, be, but being German, Norwegian, Hispanic, I just got all kinds of anger issues, and so I'm like, no, we got to reach more people for Christ, and, you know, um, got loud with my staff, why, you know, when's the last time you led someone to Christ? Pastor Brown, I've never led anyone to Christ. Why are you on my staff? <laughs> How did we not catch that in the vetting process? You know, so it's like, what do you mean you've never led anyone to Christ? What's wrong with you, man? And so I was like, ah. And then it, it you know, just hit me that I was the problem. <laughs> that I wasn't, I wasn't modeling. I'd preach at crusades and people would get saved, but, but I didn't have any relationships with people far from God because I had a staff and I had a team and all these things. And so I got convicted and I started building relationships with lost people and Slowly but surely, this church started to experience another wave. So one of those guys was a young man named Jeremiah uh, that got on fire for Christ at our church. And so one day, Jeremiah said, hey, Pastor Brian, he said, my, my, when I used to be a drug dealer, I was like, oh, you're leading our college group. I didn't know you used to be a drug dealer. Okay. Uh, hey, no one's perfect. All right. So you could have mentioned that. But, and uh, so I was like, oh, yeah. And he says, yeah. And he goes, my upline was a guy named Jamar. He's a rapper here in town. And, and uh, you know, he had about 80 drug dealers in, in his pipeline, in his business, and so 80 associates, and so I was like, all right, well, 
And he says, well, his, him and his uncle run the drug business together. The uncle just went to prison for 35 years. The FBI is looking for him. He's scared. He's going to go to prison for life. And he said, I told him, hey, man, you need to meet with my preacher. And, and, and uh, he can help you. So I went to Pizza Castle with Jamar. And uh, he said, I'll give you one hour, preacher. And uh, I said, well, you might be doing 35 to life, so I think we could do more than an hour. Come on, somebody. So, you know, and uh, I led, I led Jamar to Christ. And I did exactly what Jesus did. I was like, all right, Zacchaeus, party at your house tonight. So I said, all right, here we go. I said, Jamar, party at your house tonight. I'll bring the pizza and I'll bring the, the salad. You provide the beverages, preferably non-alcoholic. But hey, your place, you make, the, you make the calls, you know. Just don't spike my Coca-Cola, you know. And so, and I said, invite some of your associates. We can be nice, right? <laughs> they were drug dealers, but invite some of your associates over and and uh, so they came, and four of them gave their life to Christ that night. And in, in J-Bar's first month, yeah, God is good, only Jesus. I'm not that good, that was Jesus. And so, uh, first month of being a new follower of Christ, J-Bar brought 100 people to our church, about over 20 of them gave their life to Christ. And then they started inviting their friends, and we experienced an incredible move of God uh, through one conversation. You never know when you go to one pizza restaurant with one someone far from God, what that could do. And uh, so about... About a month in, Jamar says, hey, Pastor Brian, my, my brother Maz just got out of prison, and he's coming to church this Sunday. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. He goes, well, not really. And I was like, oh, yeah? And he goes, yeah, he's very violent. Uh, well, we have security. And he goes, yeah, he hates Christians. He's a Muslim. I was like, oh, well, okay. And he goes, yeah, and he, he wants to meet the white preacher that converted me to Christianity. And he's very angry at you. So I just wanted to warn you, you might want to have some extra security around you. And so I just did what Brother Nehemiah did. The, the Bible says that Nehemiah, everyone prayed and had a sword in the other hand. And so, you know, he, I called the colonel of my church and I was like, hey, you might want to have a few bazookas and missile launchers, you know, ready uh, just in case. And uh, slightly kidding. And uh, so we beefed up our security detail. And so after the first service, Maz came in with Jamar and I met him and just a few minutes, and then I go backstage, and I'm sitting in my green room praying and trying to get ready, get in the zone to preach again, and uh, my worship leader, Tammy, comes in, and she's like, Pastor Brian, Pastor Brian, I gotta talk to you. I'm like, Tammy, you're up like in three minutes. She goes, I, I know, but I can't go out on stage. I'm like, you've sung on TV, you've sung at stadiums, you're like the best singer in our state. What do you, Tammy, calm down, what's going on? She said, did you meet J. Bar's brother, Maz, and she's shaking, I was like, yeah, he seems pretty cool. She, I, I can't go out there with him in this, he, you know, he's an assassin. <laughs> this is not a Jason Bourne movie, Tammy. You know, we don't have assassins in Albuquerque. We have murderers, and apparently we have a lot of drug dealers, <laughs> I'm finding out. Uh, we don't have assassins. She said, what do you call someone who kills people for money? <laughs> yeah, maybe an assassin, I, I don't know, and so... Uh, you know, I was like, Tammy, get out there. Let me pray for you. Go out there. No fear. Go out there. And then I'm afraid. I'm like, oh, okay. You know? And uh, so go out, preach the second service. And I see him afterwards. And so I was like, hey, Maz, I want to take you to lunch. Why do you want to take me to lunch? And I said, hey, man, you, you know, uh, look like a guy that could use, you know, might be better than the prison food. I don't want to say that, but you know, I'm just thinking, you know, just saying you haven't had a lot of options the last 12 years of your life. So I mean... I just want to buy you lunch, bro. Can I buy you lunch? So we exchanged. It took about a month to get him to Five Guys Burgers. And uh, we went there, and there, was, there weren't five guys. There were three girls and a guy. So I don't know what that was all about. But we went to Five Guys, and we ordered food. And I said, hey, man, I want to be your friend. And I'd just like to get to know you and be in your life and support you. And 
He said, why would a white preacher like you want to hang out with a black guy like me that just got out of prison? I said, hey, bro, my brother's in prison right now. Um, so, hey, man, no judgment here. I just really want to be your friend. He said, I'm a Muslim. I read the Quran five times. If you're trying to convert me, it's not going to work. I said, I'm not going to try and convert you because I don't believe you. All you Christians are the same. I said, I promise you, I will not try and convert you. I really want to be your friend and love you. And uh, he says, you know, I hate Christians. I said, yeah, there's a few I don't like either. So, uh, <laughs> you know. And uh, so he goes, I said, why, why do you hate Christians? And, and so you got to listen to people. And so he, he said, you know, my stepdad was a Christian. And uh, I said, oh, yeah. He goes, yeah, when I was nine years old, he got me selling drugs in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, he said, that ruined my life. I have two daughters. I don't know. I've been in prison 12 years. My baby mama wouldn't let them come to prison and visit me. I have two daughters. I don't know. They're embarrassed that their dad was in prison. And I hate Christians. I hate my stepdad. And he began abusing me as well. So I hate Christians. I said, Maz, I can understand that. I don't blame you. But that wasn't a real Christian. But I, I can understand why you would hate Christians. Would you allow me? Would you give me a chance to show you a different kind of Christian? And I'm not perfect. But would you allow me to show you genuine love? He said, you can ask your brother about me. You know, I'm not perfect, but, but I do love people, and I'd love to be your friend. And um, said, you're not going to try and convert me? I said, no, man, I just want to be your friend. I said, all I ask is that when I've earned your trust, and that might be in a year, it might be in 20 years, I'm in this for the long haul. When I make friends, I make friends for life. So when I've earned your trust, would you allow me to share with you about the prophet Esau? Because I've read your holy book three times. And Muhammad talked a lot about the prophet Isa. In English, we call him Jesus. So how about that? It's in your Bible, so would you mind? He goes, fair enough. I said, all right, not today. So we became friends. I began, when I met him that day, I wrote his name in my Bible, Maz, M-A-Z-Z, and I began praying for him by name every day. And then I sat with him and listened to him. Tell me your story. If you actually listen, people will tell you everything you need to know about them. The problem is we don't listen. And then they say, well, you know, I had a bad experience in church. Well, you need to forgive. That's not helpful, you know. Just listen. Don't shut people down. Don't try and fix them, right? I've been married 26 years. I've learned not to try and fix my wife. She comes with a problem. If you want to stay married, yeah. And I'm a fixer, right? So I'm like, okay, baby, here's what we do. We need to, you know, and I get out my phone. I got a plan. She's like, no. <laughs> you're not fixing me. I want you to listen, <laughs> you know. And so you got to listen to people. And then I began to eat with Maz and break bread. So every month we'd go out to lunch. I always bought. And so, uh, you know, we'd go to lunch. We'd go to dinner. We started playing basketball. Uh, he's quite the large bodybuilder. He destroyed me. I said, from now on, we watch uh, Kobe Bryant on TV. No, no more playing basketball. <laughs> you know, uh, I have my pride. <laughs> so, you know, and so, you know, one day I said to my wife, I'm like, you know, Maz, it's like so cool. I just love this guy. He's becoming like one of my best friends. And you know, besides being a drug dealer and a murderer and a Muslim, I know he's perfect, right? I mean, you know. I was like, he's really a cool guy. I mean, like cooler than Will Smith, you know, before the Oscar slap, right? You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, too soon? Sorry, sorry. And, and so I was like, man, he's so cool. I want to be cool, you know. And, and uh, we became such good friends. And so one day I said to him, hey, Maz, how can I serve you? So begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve. So I said, hey, Maz, how can I serve you? And uh, I said, do you have a place to stay? Yeah, I'm living with my mom. You know, not real proud of that as a 
late 30s guy, you know, living with my mom, but I got a place to stay. So what I need is a job. I can't get a job even at McDonald's because of my violent crimes. They won't hire me. I can't get a job. I can't provide, trying to rebuild a relationship with my daughters. I have no money. I can't get a job. Because job is more than money. It's dignity. You got to put food on the table for your kids. Are you with me? I said, Miles, what are you good at? I said, I can tell you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> you have the gift of leadership. You've led many men, women. Um, so you got business skills, <laughs> marketing savvy. <laughs> like you, Joel Osteen, call out hope in people. So, you know, you know, come on, you know, encouraging him. And, and I said, so what are you good at? It's literally honest to God truth what he said. I'm not exaggerating. He said, shooting people and selling drugs. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be to help you there, Miles. My brother could help you, but he's in prison. So I, I can't help you there. But surely you're good at something else. He goes, well, I used to work on cars like 20 years ago. I said, I can get you a job at a body shop. I know a guy. And so I got him a job, and, and that changed his life because now he could provide for his daughters. So every day, praying for him by name for 16 months listening to him, eating with him, serving him. And my staff, my staff started to get a little uncomfortable. And they're like, hey, you missed staff meeting to go hang out with your Muslim friend. Like, what's going on, you know? I was like, well, staff meeting's boring. But, but besides that, I was like, you know, trying to win him to Christ. They're like, yeah, but he's, is he saved yet? So was Rome built in a day? Shut up, you know? <laughs> How many Muslims you led to Christ, okay? <laughs> and so I was just, not easy, it's not fast. And so, um, so, you know, one day about 16 months in, in my, morning, my place of morning prayer, the Lord said, today's the day of salvation for Moz. So I called him up. I said, hey, Moz, meet you at Starbucks, 2 o'clock. He said, the one in Coors and Montano. I said, that's my office. I'll see you there. And uh, so I met him there at 2 o'clock. I ordered a white chocolate mocha. <laughs> because when I was a rapper, my stage name was White Chocolate. So, so if you feel the need to say, preach it, white, white chocolate, go ahead. So let the Lord lead you as you feel led. And so I ordered white chocolate mocha. He ordered a nice coffee. And I said, Maz, do you trust me? He said, what do you mean? I said, yeah, do you trust me? He said, with my life. I said, no, Maz, I mean for real. Do you trust me? He said, you're the only white person I've ever trusted. <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. So uh, he goes, no, I, I trust you. And I would take a bullet for you, Pastor PB. He always called me PB. Pastor Brian, short. He didn't like saying the word pastor, so he called me PB. And so uh, he goes, and if someone tried to hurt your family, I would take them out. <laughs> so we don't need you going back to prison. Calm down. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Stay on the outside. We can get more done for the kingdom. So I was like, thank you, Maz. I, I believe that. <laughs> I think you would take them out. So I pity the fool, you know. <laughs> so I was like, all right, bro. And so I said, hey, man, do you know I love you? He goes, yeah. Yeah, I know you love me. I said, Maz, do you remember the question I asked you the first day I met you. He goes, no. I said, I asked you when we sat down at Five Guys Burgers. When I earned your trust, could I share with you about the prophet Isa? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, can we have that conversation? And he said, sure, okay. I said, Amaz, I've read your holy book three times. So now in English translation, I don't speak Arabic, but I've read the English translation of the Quran three times. Um, and I said, it's very interesting that in your book, the prophet Muhammad said that Esau or Jesus in English is the Messiah. Isn't that tight? <laughs> and he's like, 
okay? <laughs> Wasn't quite as excited as I was. And so I, I said, and in your holy book, it says that Esau was a holy man, born of the Virgin Mary, that he, he did miracles. Isn't that amazing? My book says the same thing. <laughs> sure, you know. And uh, I said, and your holy book says that in the last days, Esau will come to the earth to judge the wicked and reward the righteous. My book says the same thing. Bro, in that tight? He's like, yeah, sure, okay. You know. He says, let me ask you a question, Maz. You're, you're a very intelligent man. Let me ask you a question, Maz. As you said, you've read the Quran five times, so you might be an expert. I've only read it three times. You're very intelligent, very articulate, very committed Muslim, so... I said, let me ask you a question. Is there any chance that Muhammad got it wrong about the prophet Esau? What do you mean? Yeah, you know, like, is there any chance Muhammad got it wrong? And, you know, like, Esau is a false prophet. No. Are you sure? Yeah, absolutely not. You're sure he's not a false prophet? No. We need him to defend Jesus, you know. I was like, but what if he was a fraud and a fake? No way. I said, are you sure about that? And he said, yeah. Reverse psychology is a beautiful thing, my friends. <laughs> I said, so you're sure that the prophet Esau was not a false prophet, not a liar, not a fraud? He said, absolutely not. I said, let me share with you one more thing, Maz. I said, it's not in your book, but it's in my book. But as you said, he can't be a false prophet, so it can't be a lie. And I said, he said, not only is he the Messiah, not only is he coming again to the earth, not only is he a holy man sent by God, but he said, he taught that he himself is the son of God in the flesh, equal to the father, that he's the only way to the father. The father saw fit to put salvation in his name. I said, Amaz, you carry a lot of pain, a lot of shame, a lot of hurt, a lot of guilt about the crimes that you've done. You don't have to carry that shame anymore. You don't got to carry that guilt because Jesus once and all took it to the cross. He's arose from the dead on the third day and he is, wants to save you. So right now, Maz, would you like to invite Isa, or I call him Jesus, into your heart to set you free from all that pain and all that guilt, all that hurt and all that shame. He began weeping and accepted Christ over a white chocolate mocha at Starbucks at the corner of Coors and Montagna. I got to water baptize him and his two daughters. Changed my life. Changed my life. Changed my life. And I realized if I had done the traditional evangelism things that I had been taught to do, they would not have worked. If I had sat down with them and said, listen, you're a sinner, you know, uh, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you know, so it's like, Excuse me, watch your language, you know, so, uh, but, you know, there is a God who died for you, and, I mean, none of that would have worked. That would have worked. But you know what people do respond to? They respond to love. They respond to hope. They respond to kindness and friendship. So I want to encourage you to love on the front end. <laughs> Be generous with love and friendship on the front end to win people's hearts. That's how Jesus did it. So I want to talk to you about bless. It's the way that I believe that Jesus modeled for us. So B stands for, say it with me, begin with prayer. Say it in your out loud voices again. Say, begin with prayer. Begin. Slap your neighbor, wake him up. That was a really long story. And say, begin with prayer. All right. All right. So begin with prayer. Who you pray for, you care for. The moment I started praying for Maz, I started caring for him. I no longer saw a Muslim. 
I no longer saw a criminal. I saw a person created in the image of God, an image bearer of Christ valuable with intrinsic value to God and to me. Who you pray for, you care for. And I've learned that when you pray for people by name, specifically, don't just pray for orphans, pray for some orphans by name. Don't pray for widows, pray for some specific widows. Don't pray for Muslims. You can't win a billion Muslims to Christ or a billion Hindus. You can reach one. You can reach, everyone can reach one person. And so I began to pray for him, and I discovered that when you pray for people personally by name, two things happen. First things that happen is that God moves in your heart. <laughs> the real transformation actually happens in you, actually, more than them. You have to change before they change. Because prayer is more than a conversation with God, it's an impartation from God. So when I start to pray for people, I start to love them, I start to care about them, I start to get involved in their story. I can't dismiss them anymore because now I care for them. Are you with me? And then as I care for them and I love them and I share with them and I break bread, and then God begins to open their hearts to the gospel. Of course, it is only the gospel that saves. It's only the gospel. But I've learned that it's love and friendship, breaking of bread, listening, caring, serving, that opens the heart to the gospel. Are you with me? So the Bible says in Isaiah 43, 1, I've called you by name. God knows your name. If you feel invisible today, if you feel all alone, you feel like, hey, at my school, nobody knows me, nobody plays with me, nobody cares about me, I feel all alone, you're not alone. You're not alone. God of the universe knows your name and calls you by name. Amen. That would have been a good place to, you know, maybe give God a shout of praise or something. <laughs> How many know what a sextillion is? How many university students here know what a sextillion is? One, you're the first person ever anywhere I ask that question. Thank you, sir. I want to meet you and shake your hand. Uh, a sextillion is a billion trillion. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. And uh, so scientists believe that, our, that in our known universe, there's 200 sextillion stars. Like, Lord, a little bit of overkill? I mean, like, 100 sextillion wasn't enough, you know? I mean, that we know there's only life on one planet, but God made this vast universe. The Bible says in Psalm 147, I created all the stars, and watch this, watch this, and I called them by name. He named them all, because when you have a name, you have value. When you have a name, you have purpose. Are you with me? Call me by my name. Call me, so pray for people by name. So B, begin with prayer. L stands for listen to them. Say it with me, touch your neighbor and say listen to them. So I've learned that the, the key to effective evangelism is authentic relationships. And relationships are built one conversation at a time. Maz and I built a relationship, a white evangelical preacher and a, a black Muslim ex-convict built a relationship. Our worlds were different, but love is the universal language. And we built that relationship one conversation at a time. And there was some colorful language, you know, not PG in those conversations. You know, you're like, okay, I've never heard the F word used that many times. Like in three sentences, that was uh, brilliant, kind of sinful, I don't know. But, uh, you know, you have to really listen to people. You get to know their hurts, their pain, their stories, their doubts, their fears, and not try and fix them. <laughs> Just really listen 
to their hurt and their pain. James 1.19 says, my brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. How many of you know we do the exact opposite of this? We are slow to listen. My mother used to always say, you know, Brian, God gave you two ears for a reason. And only one mouth. I say, but he gave me 10 toes. What does that mean? I don't know. So, uh, but anyway, be, be quick to listen. Slow to speak, but we're, we're fast to speak. We're slow to listen. We're quick to get angry. The Bible says, flip the script. You want to see your marriage change? Do this one verse for a month. Listen to your spouse. Be slow to get angry. Calmate, muchacho. Right? Calm down, you know, and uh, be slow to speak and slow to become angry. We've got to really listen to people. E stands for eat with them. Touch your neighbor and say eat with them. Now, full disclosure, this is my favorite part of evangelism, you know. Uh, I'm carrying about 25 pounds more than I did when I got married for a reason, okay. And I love to eat, and I love eating with people, and I love making new friends. And I've discovered that there's such magical power in food, such magical power in food, uh, because you just sit and talk, and their wall, defense, their walls are up. Every business deal I've ever closed, ministry deal I've ever closed happened over food because their hearts open up and they start talking and you start sharing stories. Before you know it, you're in their life and you know something about them that has nothing to do with the deal with the ministry or the partnership. And now you know them personally and they trust you because you have to earn people's trust. And food is the, one of the fastest ways to get there. So I, I love this quote uh, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, Tim Chester says that Jesus did evangelism and discipleship around uh, a table with some grilled fish, a loaf of bread, and a pitcher of wine. Jesus was a relational leader who broke bread with people. So here's the big idea. You're gonna have about 21 meals a week, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Some of us more, some of us less, but we're gonna have about 21 meals a week. Could you share one of them with someone far from God? One out of 21, that's less than 5%. Would you make time in your schedules every week to share a meal, a coffee, a rainbow's tea with hot milk, four scoops of sugar, uh, with someone far from God. So two weekends ago, I flew to Austin, Texas. Wasn't on the way to Guatemala, back home where I live now with my family. Because there was one man I wanted to see, a friend of mine named Tyson. Um, he leads a Fortune 500 company. It's the number one computer chip company in the world. And uh, met him about two and a half years ago. He invited me to serve on his foundation not a believer and it's not a Christian foundation. So we did some things together in the city of Austin and I wrote his name down. I started praying for Tyson every day and his wife, Nicole. And as I prayed for him, I started to care for him and he's an atheist, he does not believe in God. And over two and a half years of friendship, praying for him every day, listening to him, eating with him, serving him, his heart is opening to the gospel. So I thought, I need to go see Tyson. So I flew to Austin to have breakfast with Tyson. We had an hour, he said, man, I got an hour. It went three hours. At the end, I said, Tyson, would you, would you be my CEO coach? I wanna be a better leader. Um, you lead one of the greatest companies in America. You're an incredible leader. He's on the board of the Federal Reserve. So I said, man, would you teach me how to be a better leader and a better CEO? And I wanna learn from you how to make money. I know how to spend money. I don't know how to make money. So I said, would you teach me and would you be my CEO coach? And he goes, on only one condition. Would you be my spiritual coach? 
He choked up and he said, I'll teach you how to make money if you teach me how to, the meaning of life. You never know what one conversation can do in someone's life. One breaking of bread with someone far from God. This is what Jesus did so well. In Matthew 9, Jesus is walking along and he sees the tax collector's booth. These were people who worked for Rome to collect taxes for the occupying empire that had taken away their nation. So you remember in the Bible, the worst curse word they could say was, you're ugly. Well, yeah, you're mean. Oh, yeah, well, you're a tax collector. You know, it's like, it's a curse word to say that word because of what it represented to them. They were working for the Roman Empire, taking their taxes, taking their freedoms, and they despised any Jew that worked for Rome. And here's Matthew, a Jewish man, collecting taxes for the enemy. And what the tax collectors would do is they would get a little something, something for them. So, you know, you owe, you owe Rome 30%, you owe me 24%. It's like, what? You know, so they would add to that money for them, and they were getting wealthy off the Jews. So they hated them. No rabbi worth his salt would ever go to the home of a tax collector. And yet here Jesus walks by his booth, says, hey, Matthew, I'm coming to your house tonight for dinner. Shrimp on the Barbie. I don't know if he literally said that, but I'm just saying you know, come in tonight, maybe grill fish and uh, pitch your wine, come to your house tonight for dinner, invite your friends. The Bible says that night in Matthew 9, 10, as she was having supper at Matthew's house, some very disreputable characters came for dinner because Jesus did discipleship around the supper table. It was an act in the Middle East, eating dinner with someone is not just a meal, it's an act of a symbol of friendship, acceptance, and love. Very spiritual meaning. He breaks bread with them. So I wonder who you need to invite to your home for dinner. I wonder whose house you need to go to. Someone far from God. And break bread with them. And I uh, had, a, had a Muslim imam in my city. And uh, I started praying for him every day. And one day he says, uh, I've never met anyone that loves like you love. He starts crying. He says, would, would you come to the Islamic Center of New Mexico? Would you be willing to come have lunch with me? And I said, absolutely, I would love to break bread with you. Now, the Islamic Center of New Mexico, the previous imam had been arrested by the FBI for terrorism. It's a true story. It was a very ugly thing that happened. This was the new imam that had come in. So I told my family that night, I was like, hey, guys, guess where I'm going to lunch? The Islam Center of New Mexico. And my son goes, Dad, isn't that where the guy got arrested by the FBI? I was like, well, the previous pastor, you know, not the current one, but the, the previous guy. And he's like, you're not going to go. What if they try and kill you? I'm like, I'm watching too much 24, you know, too much Jack Bowers. I was like, God, I don't think they're going to try and kill me or anything. And I said, but I'm taking the chief of police with me just in case, you know. So, uh, and I did take the chief with me. And so, you know, and we had a time. Who do you need to break bread with? My friend Craig Rochelle says, if you want to reach people, no one's reaching. You got to do some things no one's doing. You got to take some risks. I wonder if this week you would take a risk and walk across the office to that guy that's belligerent and angry and makes fun of Christians and say, hey, man, could I take you to lunch? That neighbor that's very rude and ugly and nasty to you, what if you just, there's probably some pain there. What about that family member that cut you off, that wronged you, that betrayed you? What if you were to invite them to the supper table? I'm just saying, maybe God might move through that. So begin with prayer. Say it with me. Begin with prayer. Listen to them. Eat with them. 
And the S stands for serve them. Everybody say serve them. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's not just acquaintance saying it's true. Maz didn't care how much I knew about the Bible. He didn't care I'd read the gospel 40 times. He didn't care that I had seminary degrees. He wanted to know, do you care about me? Because his Christian stepdad had abused him and got him selling drugs. So there was a history, there was a hurt, there was a pain there. There was a story, everyone has a story. People don't care how much you know. Do they know how much you care? And Jesus modeled for us so brilliantly the fastest way to someone's heart is to serve them. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Serve people. You want to win their heart, serve them. Find a need in their life and meet it or introduce them to someone who can. If you can't meet that need, help connect them to the resources that can meet that. In other words, you got to find an itch and scratch it. You know what I'm saying? Like you're on the airplane, you're like, I can't get that one spot right there. And then you're like, I don't want to ask the stewardess, you know. I might get kicked off the plane, you know, today. You don't know what might happen. So touch your neighbor and say, find an itch and scratch it, right? Just find need in their life and meet it. And the last S stands for share Jesus. Everybody say share Jesus. Now, we, we tend to think that, that this is where the gospel starts. I tell you, the whole thing is the gospel. The whole thing is evangelism. This is the communication of the gospel, but the whole thing is evangelism. The moment you start praying for them, the moment you start listening to them, the moment you start eating with them, the moment you start serving them, evangelism has already begun. Real biblical discipleship has begun. And yes, there is a time where you need to share the gospel. But the gospel has no meaning to them if it's not in the context of love and relationship. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we gotta love people so well that by the time we get to share the gospel, I had loved Ma so well by the grace of God that by the time I got to share the gospel, he was ready. So who in your life is God calling you to love so that you can earn trust to share? And I love how Paul did it. You know, Paul explains and models for us how to share our faith. Like, hey, if it's good enough for the apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. So in Acts 22, he says, here's what I was like before Christ. It's the first part of your story. Who are you before? I wasn't a drug dealer. My brother was. I'm not getting up and share faith. This is who I was. I grew up in church. I was a pastor. I was this. But, you know, man, Christ has changed my life. and I'm starting to love people I didn't know I could ever love. And I'm having meals with people I knew I never thought I would have meals with. God's changed my life. Tell people who you are. So before Christ, he says, and then I was on the road to, to Damascus to persecute more Christians, put them in prison, and Christ met me. Knocked me off my horse. Says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth. So he meets Christ in the real way. So before Christ, Christ, and then he shares what happened after Christ. And since he met, I met Christ, this is what he's done in my life. Because people don't know our God, but they know us. And this is called incarnational Christianity. The Bible says in John 1, 14, and the word was made flesh. And he became one of us. And when he looked like us, God became one of us. We got to become one of them. Paul said, I will do all things and become all things to reach all people. Anything short of sin, we got to do that. Become all things to all people. To love them right where they're at. 
offer them hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one that saves. It's our job to love them so well, their hearts open to the one and only Savior. And we see in John 4, 28, I love this story, the woman at the well. I'd present to you that she was one of the most effective evangelists in the Bible. She'd never been to church, never been water baptized, never been through new doctrine class. I'm not saying those things aren't good. But the day she met Christ, she met hope. She met love, unconditional love, for the first time. She'd had five failed marriages, shacked up with a guy now, living in sin, and Jesus just cuts right through all that, speaks right to her heart with unconditional love. No other rabbi would have stood there and talked to her, but Jesus did. And in Jesus, she found love, and she found hope. She found amazing grace. The Bible says she, she ran back to her town, and she told everybody in Samaria about this Jesus. Come see him. Could this not be the Messiah? And the Bible says the whole town came out. The whole town. And many of them believed on Jesus. Love people so well, bless them so well that by the time you get to share the gospel, their hearts are ripe and their hearts are open because you've loved them with God's love. Are you with me today? Give him a shout of praise. All right, so stand to your feet with me. So let's repeat these together. Everybody say, begin with prayer. Let's try that again, this time with some passion. Say, begin with prayer. Say, listen to them. Eat with them. Serve them. Serve. Share, Jesus. Share Jesus. Come on, one more time. Say, begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. Listen to them. Listen to Eat them. with them. Eat with Serve them. Serve. Share, Jesus. Share Jesus. All right, now tell your neighbor. Say, begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. Listen to them. Listen. Eat with them. Eat. Serve them. Serve. And share Jesus. So this is not a campaign. We call this a lifestyle. I'm not saying do this for a week. I'm saying, like, do this for the rest of your life. So it's five action verbs, five habits of being a contagious Christian. The first one is everyone say pray. That leads to listen. That leads to eat. That leads to serve. That leads to sharing. And sharing leads back to praying. It's, it's, a, it's a cycle. I don't stop praying for people once they get saved. I keep praying for them and I keep eating with them and I keep serving them. I want to ask you today, we're encouraging believers all across the world. Half, half a billion Christians last year did this with us in 80 countries. Raise your hand at me. Wave, wave your five fingers at me. If you only have four, it's okay. Borrow one from the other hand. Four plus one still equals five, I think, even in our, in our new mathematics. Okay, bless God. All right. Uh, take five minutes a day and pray for five people. You have to pray an hour for them. Could you take five minutes? Wave at me if you say I could give Jesus five minutes a day. If you don't have five minutes a day for Jesus, please loan me your cell phone. I'll help you find some five minutes. <laughs> we'll go to your track app thing and we can see how much time you spend on Instagram. Looking at famous people <laughs> that are photoshopped. They don't look that good in person. I've seen them, okay? Okay, and uh, living some, live your own life. <laughs> Stop living somebody else's life on social media. Live your life, okay? We can go to TikTok and trim some time off there. We can go to, all right, you're with me. Five minutes a day, pray for five people. I want you to think right now about five people. Five people, maybe a brother or a sister, a father or a mother or a son or a daughter, an uncle, that really weird uncle you don't invite over for Christmas. That guy needs Jesus too. Maybe a neighbor, a cranky neighbor, 
Maybe a belligerent coworker who's very hostile. Maybe you're in school. Maybe it's a classmate or a teammate. So we're starting to mobilize this around the world about two years ago. And so I thought I'm going to try it with my family. So I asked my, my daughter, Lauren was 11. Then I said, Lauren, would you pray for five friends every day by name? She goes, no. I was like, what a failure. Can you get my own daughter to do this? It ain't going to work in Victoria, but don't work at home, Allered. You know, and I was like, oh, can I pay you to do it? I'm, I'm just like, I, really? She goes, no, I want to pray for seven. I'm like, there's my overachieving daughter. I love you. Yes, seven is better than five. And so she writes the names of her seven friends on the chalk. We have a family prayer altar. We have a chalkboard. And so she wrote, and I wrote my names, and Mercy wrote hers, and Chloe and Colin wrote theirs. We prayed for them every night as a family. Even when I travel, we pray over them. After about a month, Lauren comes and says, Dad, you know what? Uh, I, I want to reach them for Christ. None of my friends go to church. None of them know Jesus. And she said, uh, can I do a Bible study at our house? I said, sure, talk to mom, your mom, and let's do it. So for eight weeks, my, my wife and my daughter hosted seven of her friends in our home, 11 years old. In the seventh week, she comes to me crying, dad, dad, dad. And I was like, what happened to school? Are you okay, baby? What's his name? What's his name? You tell me his name. I'll find his address. I know a few people. I will crush him in Jesus' name. And she goes, no, no, it's not a boy, dad. She goes, uh, she said, uh, I, I just uh, Tomorrow's the last day of the Bible study. I said, oh, yeah, that's right. How, how's it been going? Because my son and I would leave and leave the girls there. I have two girls and a wife. I'm like, I don't need seven more. So I'm like, Colin, I'll go. We'll give you your time and space, you know. So I was like, that's right. How's it been going? She goes, Dad, I just, I want them to know Jesus. I started praying for them, and none of them know Jesus. Will you help me write out my testimony and my story? I grew up in church. I mean, you know, uh, but I know that Christ is real, and I want my friends to know him. Daughter's crying. I'm crying. Help her write out her story. Help her practice it. The next day, she shares her story. 11 years old. Five of her seven friends gave their lives to Christ in my living room. And that's when I knew, Pastor John, I can go preach this in Pretoria because it's working in my family. So if it doesn't work at home, don't export it, all right? Would you think about one, two, three, four, maybe five, maybe seven? people in your circle of influence that need Jesus, that need hope, that need grace, because you were created to be a blessing, and God wants to use you to bless people to populate heaven and plunder hell, and it's one soul at a time, amen, come on, give God a shout of praise, so say this with me, say, I will pray for people far from God. Say, I will listen to them. I will eat with them. I will serve them. And I will share Jesus with them. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Give him a shout of praise. God bless you.